Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Paula, for reading, and I'm grateful for uh, the band that led us in that beautiful song, reminding us of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One thing that Christmas season has the potential for is giving us a little more, a little more space, a little bit more time to reflect. I say it has the potential. That potential isn't always realized amid the chaos that probably is your next 24, 36 hours. But Christmas has become a way in our culture of marking the end of a year. It comes close to the end of the year, so we're able to kind of process those sorts of things and measure our life with where we were in previous years. And because of that, I think Christmas can be a time where we do gain some perspective on where things are and what's going on in our lives. And we've been spending, for those of you who are joining us today, we've been spending the last three weeks looking at the 23rd Psalm that Paula just read, and I hope you keep that open in front of you. It's a Psalm of David, and this morning I want us to really settle in on the last two verses of that Psalm, Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6. We've looked at the others in previous weeks. I think what those last two verses can do is help shape our perspective, even as we head into Christmas, to kind of review the end of a year, I don't want us merely to kind of take inventory of our lives as far as like finances and occupation and health and family and friends, although all those things are, are absolutely meaningful. I actually want us to process where our hearts are with the Lord, where our, where our soul is at. And I think in many ways David is going to help us do this. In looking back and in looking forward. Actually, in verse 5, in verse 5, we can use the words of David to help us look back. Because what David does in those words is he looks back at what the Lord had done for him. And I want us to do the same. I want us to take a few moments with this verse as a catalyst for us to look back at what the Lord has done for us. He lists some of the benefits that the Lord had, had given to him. He says that you prepare a table before me. And so I want us to take some of these images in. You prepare a table before me. He's able to say that you set this table. And some of you, like, this is your thing, setting the table, preparing the meal, getting everything looking just right so that the table is, like, just out, out of a magazine. It's perfect. It's, it's picture perfect. What David says is, I can look back. And see how you set everything in order for me. The image is one that if you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that most of the time, it was the servants that were preparing the table. But actually here, David looks to the Lord, not only as a shepherd, but also the host. 
He says, you're the one that set this table in order. You're the one that made everything ready. The table fellowship in in most cultures is a picture of hospitality. Certainly in the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table often created this bond of mutual trust. So you're sitting at the table and there is something extended to someone that maybe was not even present before you actually sat down at table to enjoy a meal. It could show, even in some places, there is like a covenant relationship forming, a true and deep trust. And David says, you're preparing this table. And I'm coming to the table to eat. It's a picture of security because the host in this culture would have, when you sit someone at your table, it's, it's that you are assuming responsibility for the safety of the guest while they are in your house, while they are in your dwelling place. And, and, and that's a helpful picture for us to remember because David says, you prepare a table before me, not, not just because it was a holiday and because it was a festive occasion, because it was a, a day we're celebrating. You prepare a table before me and it's even in the presence of my enemies. So there is hostility and there are threats and David is recognizing what the Lord had done for him, even in the hostility, even in the threats. We don't know One thing we don't know about Psalm 23 is exactly when in David's life it was written. We don't know positively, but this psalm seems to reflect something of maturity of someone who's walked with the Lord a while. Someone who's walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I was thinking about the story of David, and if you know that story at all, you know David regularly encountered enemies. So he's always, it seems like regularly in his story, he's in close proximity with enemies. And I wonder even if as David takes this image and, and lets us use our imagination to understand better what the Lord means to us and how the Lord cares for us. I wonder if he is rehearsing some of his life and we can't like look over the whole life of David, but at one point, David was on top of the world. At one point, he was recognized and loved as the king uh, of uh, kind of a, an area, at least an area superpower. He worked so hard to establish peace and people got to enjoy prosperity because of some of the battles that he fought. But as David is writing, you prepare a table before me, I wonder if he went back to the time when his, oh, we call it indiscretions, we could call them scandals, We could call it sexual misconduct. But when David's choices were made and it ended up, his family blew up. And and there was just massive fallout over this. Following David's like being on top of everything in the world, there are these significant betrayals. Even his own son betrays him, but, but close family friends are not loyal to him any longer. And so David ends up finding himself giving up the throne and going on, going on the run. He actually tries to have, he has to stay off the grid just to survive. And so David is like running for his life. And, and there's this picture that you come across when you read the, the life of David and you read this picture. So David is on the run. He's fleeing his enemies and, and he is like just almost a, a breath away from being destroyed. And it tells us a story in 2 Samuel 17 that while David is on the run, he comes across a few of his friends. And his friends prepare a table 
and they load that table with food to sustain him as he's on the run. All his men as well. Could it be, as David writes this psalm, he's looking back and he has even a tangible image of what it meant for the Lord to show his care, preparing a table, even in the presence of enemies, even when life was crazy. I think we can have an even deeper appreciation for David's words in this psalm because they aren't the words of some wide-eyed kid that thinks, you know, the world is great and we don't fault them for being an unapologetic optimist. But David isn't naive. He knows how the world works. He knows that just because he's sitting down at a table, all threat in his life isn't gone. He recognizes that and he says, you prepare a table before me right there in the presence of my enemies. He connects the dots. He knows where he's been. He knows that while everything is not better in his life, he knows, he knows for certain that God cares. And often, often I think this is exactly, this is exactly what we need to know when we feel the press, when we feel pressure. We, we wonder, we can feel like we're all alone. We can wonder, is anybody actually looking out for us? Or are we going to have to face everything possibly that could hurt us? We feel like other people might just be using us for what they could get out of us. We may begin to think we can't really trust anyone anymore. No one has our back. And in the middle of that, David has a reminder. The Lord has a way of setting a table preparing it just for you, even when you're in the presence of enemies. I think we need to hear that for a couple reasons. One is for our own soul, but as I was reading about that, I thought there are so many people around us that are actually dealing with enemies, and they might not be political enemies or military enemies. They, They might be in this room today. They might be enemies that, that are, are causing real fear and real doubt. We know people. We know people who right now, if you were to ask them, are you expecting life to get better in the next week, month, or year? They would say, I'm not. There actually is no real hope on the horizon that anything in my life is going to get better. That there are people that we, we know, right? We know there are people that are not expecting to receive mercy, not expecting to be shown grace, It isn't that hard for us to think about people that we know and care about who are wrestling with depression, who are in the presence of their enemies, of a a mental illness. They're struggling with rejection that has become extremely painful. Even as they walk in and we sing Christmas carols, they're filled, they're filled with anxiety and filled with fear. That might be you, but it might be someone you know and you care about deeply. Could it be that God has you hearing this message today? Maybe even today, it's not so much for your benefit, but so that you'll pray. So that you'll pray for that person that has experienced deep, deep loss. You'll pray for that person that month after month, they're reminded of what they don't yet have. They're reminded that the hurt is still very real. Could it be that God brings them to your mind this morning? And this is what you pray, Lord. Lord, would you prepare a table for them where they would be certain that you are present, 
Do it, Lord. Show them that you are looking out for them. Show them that they really do have friends. Fill them with assurance and comfort and and just reassurance and encouragement that only comes like when you're at a table and having fellowship. Show them so that they might be ready to even go on another day, another week, another year. Help them to mount up with wings like eagles that they might be able to renew their strength. Cause them to believe that they will, yes, they will see the goodness of the Lord. Help them to trust that nothing, nothing can separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe the Lord brought you here this morning to pray for someone else that's on your, on your heart, because what we know is, while this is a time where there are tons of smiles, there are also a lot of hidden tears and a lot that's behind those smiles. The images keep coming in Psalm 23. So you do prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And, and David can say, you anoint my head with oil. The picture is a little bit foreign to us in that if you were to come over to my house this evening, I'm, I'm not going to anoint your head with oil uh, just for coming into my house. So there is some gap between what we do in our customs, but I, I don't think it's that hard of a gap to understand. People would anoint with oil for a couple reasons in the Old Testament. One is, is kind of the picture we have here of welcoming someone as an honored guest. So it would do like no harm to the scripture here to say, you give me every indication that I am welcomed here, that I belong here. That's what it means to anoint with oil. The, even, even the senses, the, the smell of the oil would be uh, something refreshing for someone who's weary and bent out. By your words and your actions, you're saying... This is what David's saying to the Lord. By your words, by your actions, you're saying, I receive you. You're welcome here. There was another function, though. There was another function of oil that was used for anointing. And that anointing would happen with priests and kings and prophets. So so they would be anointed with oil as well. And, And what that anointing was signifying is There is a job to do, and you have been designated and recognized as the one to do it. There's a job to do, and you've been recognized. You've been chosen. You've been designated as the person to do it. You're going to be the king. You're going to be the prophet. You're going to be the priest. As I've thought about David in this amazing poetry, saying, you anoint my head with oil, it did make me wonder what, what is he thinking as he uses this image? I think it is very likely that he could be thinking of the Lord's welcoming into his presence. But could it be, could it be that David's going back to when he was anointed? Could it be that that image has stuck in his mind? I would imagine it did. Could it be that David is having a flashback to 1 Samuel 16, what's recorded there? You see, I mean, David came from nowhere this out-of-the-way village that no one really had heard of, no one paid attention to, this place called Bethlehem. And, and David was just the, the youngest son of a, a pretty big family and had been ignored and not paid attention to. And then one day he was discovered. He was discovered, but he was almost missed, right? So the prophet Samuel comes directed by God to the village of Bethlehem. And he comes and... He's looking because he knows God has sent him on a mission to anoint with oil 
the next king of Israel. And so he comes to that village. And remember, Jesse, the dad, brings all his sons. And then, oh yeah, there's one more. I almost forgot about him. It's David. Bring David here. And David is anointed with oil. Is that what he's remembering? Is that what he's remembering? David could look back at his life. Again, I think he's writing this when he's been through a lot. David could look back to his years when he's probably just a teenager and he enjoys early success. Goliath falls. David's influence is huge. People will say, Saul, the king, he's slain thousands, but David is a tens of thousands kind of person. This is the future of our nation. He had lived with those early successes, but he had also lived with uh, all sorts of pain and difficulty. He goes through these periods of struggles. He's on the wrong side of a paranoid, jealous king who wants to eliminate him. So he's running for his life from that. He, he says words, and we read them in the Psalms. He says, you know, my soul is cast down. Why, Lord? He says words that might, you might have said. How long? What is happening to me? Have you even you forsaken me? And eventually, eventually he's recognized by the people as their king. I wonder when David writes, you anoint my head with oil. Could he be looking back to a time in his life where he first heard, David, you are the king that God has chosen. You're the one. God has chosen you. Everybody looks on the outward appearance. But David, God has seen your heart. David had been through a lot. There were there was family strife and the bitter fruit of like a ton of selfish, destructive decisions. His family had fallen apart. His dreams had shattered, but God had not left him. And this had to instill in David a renewed hope. I wonder if he went back to that day when he was anointed king and said it was at that place where I knew the Lord met me. And I just wonder if there might be a lot of things in your life that have not gone the way you anticipated. A lot of things in the last decade or two or three or four. But yet you go to a place where you know, you know the Lord met you. You know the Lord called you. You know the Lord encouraged you. You knew his guidance and his presence was so real at a certain point in time, this direction on your life, and, and you know it, and you look back, and there's a lot in between then and now, and there's a lot of things that life has gone in a lot of different directions, but you know with certainty the Lord was there, the Lord was present. And maybe like David, you can say, even though that was a while ago, he anoints my head with oil, God has still not abandoned me, and although, although things have changed, and although you might have changed, And although your circumstances are different, God is faithful. And every dream you ever had may not come true. And every way you had originally drawn it up may not actually happen. But even in the midst of that, you know, God is still working for his glory and for your good. Because he loves you. He's not abandoned you. He loves you too much. Don't sell him short. 
he welcomes us. And David can say after all that, like, because of that, my cup overflows. The original translation I learned it was King James, my cup runneth over. The opposite of that would be like just having enough or not having enough. I, I remember when I first moved to Delaware, I was driving down state. And so I went through this toll booth and I paid my toll. I barely had enough. Like that was all I had. And then I got off an exit on Route 1 in Dover and I saw like, oh, there's another toll. And so you begin to like, go through your pockets. I'm like trying to drive safely, responsibly, of course, while trying to like, what? and then I realized I don't have any cash. And I don't know all of how Delaware works. I don't know if I'm going to get some $50 fine because of something. I don't know how it works. I just know there's a toll booth right there and I don't, I don't have any money. And so I'm like kind of pulling over to the side of the road, pulling up, you know, the, the seat mats, everything that I can find, getting everything. I find a nickel and I'm like the most excited I've ever been about finding a nickel because this, this, may, this may do it. A, another nickel, a dime, a dime. I can't find any quarters I'm finding. And finally I have just enough, just enough. I throw the change in and like a green light, I can go. And then I got to figure out how do I get back up to this area because those tolls will greet me again. You know what that is? That's having just enough. That is not what David is saying. David is not saying, yeah, the Lord gives me just about what I need. The picture is more like someone pouring you a cup of coffee. And like they poured you a nice cup of coffee and now they, they just keep pouring. And now it's just all over the table because your cup is overflowing. And David says, this is how good the Lord's been to me. This is what it's looked like in my life. David looks back at what the Lord has done for him. And I just want you to take a few moments to look back and gain some perspective on what the Lord has done for you. But, but verse 6 doesn't just leave us looking back. It actually makes us look forward. And it helps us look forward to where God is taking us. Where the Lord is taking us. So he speaks of, of how the Lord looks at him. He says, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And what he fully expected, what he fully expected is that God's goodness and his mercy, he says, surely this were, or only, I will only know God's goodness and his mercy all the days of my life. It will follow me. It's an interesting word choice because that same word follow is also used kind of in the context of hunting and pursuing. So the picture would be in the Old Testament several times where someone might, might even accidentally kill someone and there's an avenger of blood that's trying to chase them down to avenge the death. And a person feels hunted or pursued by this person that's trying to track them down to end their life. And that's exactly the word David uses. Surely goodness and mercy. What, what's surprising is exactly what is tracking David down. What is following him? We would assume, we would assume, I, I, I would, I'd be lying to you if, it, if I didn't think in my mind that some past failure is going to hunt me down and track me down. If, if I didn't tell you like some weakness that I have is going to be exposed and it's going to track me down and it's going to end my life as I know it. 
There's some, some demon that you, you fight, something that you're, some enemy you're trying to get out of your life, and you're worried like that is going to, one day it's going to get, catch up with me. One day it's going to find, find me out. One day I, I'm going to have my life wrecked by this. And what David says is something very, very different. He says, what's going to track me down and haunt me and chase after me my whole life? What's going to hound me is God's goodness. God's mercy. What an amazing thing. The the steady kindness of the Lord is going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it's not going to quit. And it's not going to quit. God's kindness. It's like, you you know, you, you count on your family and your closest friends to be that kind of support. And David says, I know this is what the Lord is going to provide because he is good. It's not just that I'm lucky and I happen to have a lot of good things chasing after me. It's because God is good and God is filled with mercy that that is going to be the story of my life. It's God's goodness and mercy is going to keep hounding me. It's not going to come a few days late. It's going to aggressively pursue us. And this is Christians, this is where we start. And if you don't yet know Christ, this is where it begins for us. Because this is what even a verse like John 3, 16 is all about. For God so loved, and we could say, for God so showed his goodness and mercy. He loved the world so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Or First John says this, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That his goodness and mercy tracked us down. And his son was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or Romans 5, 8, but God proved his love for us. God proved his goodness and mercy for us in this way. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or First John 3, this says, see or take a look or behold what kind of goodness and mercy that the Father has bestowed on us? What kind of love? This is what we know about. Goodness and mercy have tracked us down. That's, the, that's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. But it's not just that that mercy tracked us down. It keeps pursuing us. We aren't just formally adopted into a family and given some fire insurance and left on our own. But the same one who wrote about God demonstrating his love, says to a church in Thessalonica, Paul says, faithful is the one who called you. He's going to do it. He's going to, he's going to keep you. The writer uh, of Jude says this, Jude verse 24 and 25 of the only chapter says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, The only reason why we're protected is because God's mercy and goodness keeps hounding us. Philippians 1.6 says, Paul saying to a church in Philippi, I I have every confidence that the one who began a good work will complete it. Goodness and mercy is going to keep hounding and tracking you down. These are qualities that David knew that he could expect from the Lord. But David goes even further. He says, not only am I going to have my whole life now, I'm going to be pursued by God's mercy and his goodness. It's going to track me down. But he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a difference of opinion on exactly what house of the Lord is. Is it like the temple or is it 
like heaven. Which is it? Is it where we will be eternally? Or is David saying, I'm going to the house of the Lord? And I think either way, what we do understand is wherever the house of the Lord is, that's where the Lord is present. And that's exactly where David knew he would be. And that's exactly where he knew he would be forever. So it's not even just that he got a one-off invitation to come and, and be with the Lord one day, but he says, I know I'm headed to the place where I will be with the Lord forever. There's permanence there. There's eternal security. David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. What does God have for you this morning? I think in all of the craziness that our lives, even especially this time of year, could it be that he's called us just to pause for a moment and take a look back and say, I see the Lord preparing tables before me. I, I see the Lord's goodness to me. I can reflect on tangible ways where the Lord reminded me that he is still my shepherd. And could it be that the Lord has directed our attention to what lies ahead, which we don't know what the next week or month or, or 2019 holds? We, do, we really don't know. But could it be that we say, I know where I'm going And it's the house of the Lord, and I will dwell there forever. When I worked retail, there was one word that seemed to be dreaded by every associate, and that was inventory. No one liked inventory. Because it seemed like just a horrendous waste of time, a long night, some tedious task with a whole pointless exercise, just making sure somewhere, some some way the count was right. In some ways, I do wonder, do we do spiritual inventory that, that way? We, we say, I don't have time to check out what's going on. I don't, I've got things to do. I've got a lot on my mind. I've got, I, I, I'm just trying to live life. I don't have time to reflect. Well, this morning, let's make time. Let's make time to look back. Let's take some inventory. And to look ahead and say, God, where are you taking me? And where have I been? And maybe in these moments, we rehearse God's grace once again. Can I ask you to bow your head? In a moment, we're going to, again this week, end our service singing these words. We've reflected on them. We've dug deeply into them. We certainly haven't exhausted what the Lord may have for us. But as we sing, surely goodness and mercy, can we remind ourselves of where we've been and where we're going? Lord, thank you for these tangible reminders. We need them. We needed to hear them this morning. For the person that is struggling to believe, I pray that you would help their unbelief. For the person that thinks they're not a candidate for grace, I pray that you would change their mind and their heart today. Surprise us this Christmas with your goodness and your mercy hounding us. Maybe when we've been running the opposite direction. Lord, this is who you are. We pray you would answer these requests for your name's sake. Amen.